0: scripture passage this morning comes from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. So I invite you to tr- uh, open your copy of God's Word or follow along on the screen as we read it. And we'll get to that in just a second. I did want to make uh, a couple of uh, announcements, clarification type things. Um, one, just the God's storehouse that was mentioned uh, earlier, um, that is always held here over in our ministry center, but it's actually a collaboration between the God's Storehouse folks and then uh, our church, Ringgold Baptist, and the, uh, the folks in the Chatham Rotary Club. And so we kind of we rotate. So uh, it'll be here this Tuesday, which was rescheduled because of the weather from last Tuesday. But uh, it'll be the Ringgold Baptist folks that are, that are working at this one. The other thing I want to mention is our Next Steps. Uh, class uh, next week for uh, members, uh, both new members, potential members, old members. Anybody wants to look and see, learn more about our church, who we are, how to make connections in our church, uh, with uh, with myself, with Sunday school, with the Lord. All of these different things. And uh, that's a two-hour class. It's next Sunday from 3 to 5, so let me know if you're coming. We also, we will have child care, and uh, I know we've got some children for sure coming, but uh, let me know if your children will need that child care, so we'll make sure we'll have uh, the right number of workers there. Um, but we're excited about that uh, next Sunday afternoon. All right, so <clears throat> before we read, um, I want us to think, talk a minute about this book that we're about to read out of. Lamentations. Um, is, does anyone in here, would, would any of you say, and this is a real question, okay, so if, if, raise your hand if it's you. Does anyone in here say your favorite book of the Bible is Lamentations? Wow, no hands. Exactly what I expected. I mean, it's, it's kind of a different, the Bible, we, we, we love it, we believe it, we trust it, we know that God inspired every bit of it. And yet, um, it, it's kind of like a hymn book. You know what I mean? Like I, I've noticed sometimes people like, oh, let's get back to singing those old, you know, hymns in the hymn book. And what they really mean is their twenty-five favorite ones, because there's every hymn book has five, six, seven hundred hymns, and I guarantee how no matter how traditional you are. There's hymns in there that you've never heard of, and you'd be like, what is this? If we tried to sing it, and, but that's okay, because each of us in our own traditions, in our own churches, we kind of have hymns we're familiar with, and sometimes we do this with the Bible also, though. You know, we, we kind of have our favorite passages, and, uh, and sometimes it's, it's because of what meets us where we are. Sometimes it's just because some things are not as comfortable for us as others. The, the Hebrews, um, the Hebrew Bible, which we call the Old Testament, um, it's really by the Hebrew scholars, they divide it into three sections. They call it the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. Law, also known as the Torah, are the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, um, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then you get your prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, and the, the big major you know, prophets, and then they... They have a a section called the writings. And and in the writings, uh, there are eight other books that just don't quite fit into that uh, law or prophets, either category. And now three of the writings are Psalms and Proverbs and Job. All right. But then as part of that, they're part of that group uh, of eight books in there. There's those three, but then there's some that are they refer to as, uh, as the five scrolls. And, and when I looked up information on it, it said they kind of use those, put them in that section of five because it goes along with their religious holidays. But for me, when I was looking at that section of five books, I thought to me it seemed like five books that just kind of seemed maybe a little uncomfortable, a little different from other books, okay? Because, first of all, you've got Ruth and Esther, and those are books that are focused on women. It's so different from the rest of the Old Testament, where usually it's, it's men at the forefront. And then, after those two books about women, you've got three books that, just for one reason or another, make us kind of uncomfortable sometimes. First of all, you've got Song of Solomon, it's about sex, okay? So that makes people uncomfortable. Song of Solomon, you don't see a lot of, uh, uh, you know, little daily devotions. Uh, there's, there's no children's stories about that book, I don't think. I mean, you know, it, you don't see that on flannel graph. Then you got, um, then you got the book of Ecclesiastes. And that's kind of uncomfortable because it's kind of a cynical sort of take on things. It, it, was, it was written, you know, we believe that it was written by Solomon, who also wrote the Proverbs. But he, he was really taking a different viewpoint. It's just some of the stuff in there can be real interesting. And then you get the book of Lamentations. I mean, what a name. And, and again, like I've said before, we often associate associate Christianity with positive, encouraging. We we associate Christianity with joy, 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 happy, happy, happy. And we don't like to think about sorrowful things. We're really not good at sorrowful things. We like to push those aside. I promise you, ask your insurance agent. He will sell you car insurance much easier than he'll sell you life insurance. You know why? Because you don't like to think about that. I feel sorry for those insurance agents who all they do is sell life insurance. I mean, that is tough because people don't want to talk about it, don't want to think about it. And we don't like to think about being sad. And here's this book, and the whole name of it is Lamentations, which can also kind of be translated Funeral dirges, okay? This is a book that's telling you it's all about sad stuff. <coughs> and really, it's five chapters. It's short, so it's not one of these great big long ones. But every chapter is its own individual poem about sadness because of the fall of Jerusalem. Because, as we've been studying all this time about all the prophets that were prophesying, and they were telling the people, repent, repent, judgment is coming, and they didn't listen, or they'd listen and do the right thing for a little while, and then go the wrong way again. And finally, after hundreds of years, God's patience, he finally said, okay, it's time. You've been warned and warned and warned. And Jerusalem falls, and this is all about the loss that they experienced. That's what this book is about. But in the middle chapter, chapter 3, in the middle of that chapter, we get a little uh, keen insight about what we can do in the middle of our greatest sorrow, our greatest down, our greatest doom, depressed, and, and, and just lowest moments, how we can move from devastation to a devotion Move from doom and gloom to a life of purpose. And that's what we're going to be reading about today. In Lamentations chapter 3 beginning in verse 19, it says this, I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. But yet, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. And Lord, thousands of years may separate us from these folks who lived thousands of years ago and and a world away. And yet, just like them... We face consequences of our own actions. We face consequences of other people's actions. And there are times when we are lost. There are times when we are just so down and out that we don't know what to do. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray that you'd help us right now, Father, to, to see what we can do when we're in a place where all we can see is loss destruction, devastation, betrayal, hurt. Father, help us to to know how we can be on the right track as we look at the words of the author of Lamentations. Father, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in Lamentations, which, by the way, does not give us an author But the tradition has been that Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, wrote Lamentations. Here in Lamentations chapter 3, we see some catalyst for a comeback. We see some vital things that if if we move in these directions, if we make these choices, our lives can be changed. They can be turned around from being down in the dumps to being focused in where they need to be. And I want us to just think about these uh, five life-changing choices that each of us can make. The first choice is simply to focus. To focus on the right thing. To focus on God. Because when we're in the middle of our loss and our hurt and our pain and our betrayal, that's what we're focused on. All right? That, that is the whole premise But behind the the very wise old saying, you know, um, about, oh, my toe hurts. Well, let me help you forget that. Punch him in the arm. You feel your toe anymore? No, because now this hurts worse. And and that's how we are as individuals. That that pain that, that we focus on, it gathers all in our mind. And before long, our problems become big and God becomes small. It's not that we've forgotten that God exists. It's not that we have have turned away and completely rejected him. But it's the fact that what we're going through in our lives dominates everything in our lives. And this man, Jeremiah, as he's writing this lament, talking about how sad and how sorry he is in all the preceding verses, he said, but you know, in the middle of all this junk, There was one thing that I called to mind, that I intentionally chose to think about, and it gave me hope, he said. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. He starts looking at God, and he starts thinking about the character of God. And the first one characteristic of God he looks at is love. And that's one, hopefully, most of us learn very early. You know, we we may not talk about Song of Solomon, but we teach those babies when they're this big, God is love. Your Father God loves you. And we want to reinforce that because that is not the only characteristic of God, but it is definitely a fundamental characteristic that God is love. And he says, you know, in the middle of all of this junk, It came to me. I thought about God, and instantly I started thinking about, first of all, his love. And all of us, when we go through trials, when we go through tribulations, it is a very natural thing for us to start to wonder, does God really love me? If I'm going through this, does God really love me? And I love what Henry Blackaby said when he he told us that God's love for us was forever settled on the cross. See, this side of Calvary, every time we have that question, all we've got to think is, for God loved the world how much? That he gave his only begotten son. That's how much God loves us. And so Jeremiah looks at God and he talks about this great love. He said, because of his great love, we're not consumed. In other words, Jeremiah is saying what we sometimes say when we say, he better be glad I'm not God, because if, he, if, if I was, boom, lightning bolt. You know, we think that sometimes. If it was up to us, I, they, they've had enough chances. And Jeremiah says, you know, all this bad stuff has come, but, you know, the, the rest of us around that are sitting here focused on our bad times, we're still here. God has not given up on us. He's chastised us. He's, he's taken us to the woodshed. He's disciplined us. But we're still here. He didn't write us off. He didn't send us to hell. Here we are. And God loves us so much. And then he talks about his compassions. And he says a couple of things about him. His compassions never fail. You know, the, the, the interesting thing there is, it's God's compassions are powerful compassions. See, we all know people who are Compassionate. And that's good. Sometimes we simply need to be heard and, and, and seen and felt like someone understands us. But sometimes it can get frustrating when someone is super compassionate and they feel sorry for us, but we need a little bit more. We need someone who actually can do something about it. And, and, and those compassions, were like, that's great, but God is not limited. <laughs> His compassions are not weak. They are powerful compassions. In fact, here, the Bible says his compassions never fail. God's compassion is not merely a, a, a sentiment of pity for you, but it is a love and kindness for you that will envelop you, and it will follow you, and it will be with you. And, and, and while other people might be looking at you and saying, okay, I've tried to be nice to you, but you, you know, you've grieved about this. For five years now and i'm done get over it uh, or you you've been mad angry about it. you've been sad about this for so long and and, and friends and family and and close, those closest to us will sometimes say look i i've tried with you but enough and god says i'm still here i'm still listening I still feel what you feel. I still understand your, your pain. In fact, I experience that with you because you are my child and I love you. And not only that, a second thing about God's compassions that makes them so powerful is not only do they not fail, but the Bible says they're new every morning. Now, isn't that awesome? Let me tell you why I think that's Awesome. Because I, Pastor Tim Lee, my goof-ups, sins, and mistakes are new every morning. Every single day, no matter how much I've learned, no matter how long I've lived, been a Christian, and studied, guess what, I still find myself speaking a word of anger, thinking a jealous thought being short with someone, doing something wrong. And and I realized, like the Apostle Paul, if he said he's not arrived, none of us have arrived. There's that old song I used to hear a lot, especially little children, sing, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. And, And here's the thing, I'd love to hear a senior adult choir sing that song. Because really, See how we are, we're like, oh, it's okay, they're little kids, they said crazy stuff, but they're cute and they're funny and it's all fine. But then we get to a point where we're like, they're old enough to know better. And we judge harshly and we say, well, at this point, they should be perfect, they should not mess up. They've been a Christian that long and they did that. And yet, God's mercies, his compassions are new every morning. Just like our blunders, mistakes, and failures are new every day. And so you never run out of—not only do they never end, but God never says, you know what, I've been compassionate, and I'm going to keep being compassionate about, you know, the 5,280 million sins you've done up until now, but you've just gone over the limit. You know, kind of like your internet, you know, you did too much, you get charged extra, or, or, or we, we're going to cap you, or we're going to slow you down, you went too far— God doesn't do that. It is an unlimited. And there's no fine print. There's an unlimited, unfailing source of compassion. And so we focus on God and we see his love. We we see his compassion. And we see his faithfulness. Wow. And and these, these things that we think about in God's character, they're just amazing. That God never betrays us he never turns his back on us he never forgets about us he's never unavailable you know there's no place where you'd be like bad reception today prayers won't go through try again in another couple hours can you hear me now lord you know no god is faithful he will always be there for us and so when we're in this world of hurt This world of devastation, whether it's our fault or somebody else's fault, or lots of times a mix, even if we don't want to admit it, we have to turn our mind, not that we forget all about that, but our focus. We still know, we don't deny. As Christians, we're not in denial. We don't deny that bad things are happening around us. Yet, we choose to take the biggest picture. Not the one we can see with our eyes, but what we see with our eyes of faith. That's why scripture tells us we walk by faith and not by sight. And by faith, we focus on God and his love and his compassions and his faithfulness. And we could go on and on because those are just three of his many, many wonderful characteristics. But we focus on him first. Secondly, and all the rest of these are going to be quicker because they, they, they really fall in line with the first one. Once we focus on God, the next step is to praise God. And in this natural, we just look at God, and if we get serious about God and his character and his nature, we become awed, we become amazed, we become humbled, and it is just natural to praise. And so here in this this lament, once he focuses on God, he, he says... Talking about your faithfulness and your, your passions are every new every morning in verse 23b, the second part, he says, Great is your faithfulness. I mean it's just like he's looking, he's thinking, and wow, I gotta praise God. I gotta tell people, I gotta say it to God Himself, I gotta say it to myself, I gotta say it to the world. <clears throat> praise is the natural progression As we focus on God and we begin to think about him, we begin, our heart becomes changed. We begin to adore him. We look at him. And and we want to say it. We want to talk about it. We are talkers by nature. Human beings. We experience something. We want to talk about it. Now, there's different things you talk about with different people, right? Depending on your comfort level. And so when it's a, a stranger... You might talk about the weather or your favorite ball team or, oh, that outfit looks so blah, blah, whatever ladies say. You know, what? You know we all have things that, that we say that are kind of generic level you can say to anybody. And then we get more comfortable, and, and then, um, then there's almost like too comfortable in the family, you know. And you start talking about it like, oh, don't talk about that. Well, we're family. It's all right. And, but, you know, we just love to talk about what we're going through, whether it's a headache or we're mad at somebody, or, or, or uh, we think somebody else, you know, we, we have an opinion about somebody else and what they're doing, and it's just kind of how we're wired. And, and that's why Jesus said that it's not the things that go in us that defile us, but it's the things that come out of us, because from the heart we speak. Eventually, we may watch our words, we may watch our language, but eventually, just the way we're wired, our language, our speech gives us away. And that's what praise is about. Praise is when your heart is full of adoration for God. When it's full of this awe and this awareness of what a mighty God we serve. You just can't keep that inside. (laughs) Before long, you're going to be saying it, praying it, journaling it, emailing it, you're going to be telling somebody about God and who he is. And from that praise, as you think about God's goodness and you begin to talk about it, the next thing you do is you develop trust in God. You see, we look in verse 24 and it says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. All right, we talked about this whole portion concept uh, maybe, I don't know, a few months back, but let's, let's just do a mini recap. In the Bible, the word portion often could refer to an inheritance. It was that thing that you were trusting on, you were counting on. For instance, the people of Israel, each of their tribes, when God brought them into the promised land, this is your portion, tribe of Judah. This is your portion, other tribe over here. And, and, but then he told one tribe, the Levites, he said, you don't have a protection, a, a, a specific area of land. Your portion is the Lord." Because that tribe, their whole job was to facilitate the nation's worship. One twelfth of every uh, of all the people, one tribe out of the twelve, their whole job was to to increase the worship in different ways. And the line of priests came through and, and and so they said, your portion is not a portion of land, your portion is the Lord. And in the Bible, that idea developed later for people who really trusted God rather than money and things and and lands and possessions. They would say, my portion is the Lord. In other words, my faith is not in Social Security. It's not in my 401k. It's not in my insurance plan. It's not in my CDs, my money markets. Uh, It's it's not even uh, in you know, my, my city or my town or my country, my portion, my faith is in the Lord. And so we get to where, where Jeremiah is. He's seen God's goodness. He's began to talk about it. And before long, talking about God's goodness, he actually starts then to talk to himself and say, whoa, if God is so good that I can pray, that's all I can do is I, I see it, I talk about it. Uh, now I need to live by it. I need to take everything and, and understand because I've just seen everything I have can be taken away from me. And so I need to invest my life in something that can never be taken away. You see, this is better than any FDIC insurance that says, hey, you won't lose that last 100000 or 200 or whatever it is now no this is a guarantee better than the federal bank can ever give you this is why jesus said uh where your treasure is your heart will be also and don't store up treasures here on earth where moths can come in and eat it and rust can corrupt it and thieves can break in and destroy but put your put your things in heaven invest there because that is what i want you to have and nothing can ever take it away and that's where we get when we adore God and we, and we praise him and we, and we begin to really trust him and invest our lives into him. And, and so naturally, if we're going to invest in him, what do we do? We begin to seek him. We begin to walk with him. That's verse 25. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. And remember, just a few weeks back, we talked about the fact that if you're going to come to God and have a right relationship with him, there's two things you got to get right off the bat. One, you got to believe he exists. But number two, you have to trust that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. In other words, you're never going to follow a God that you think is malevolent, cruel, uh, that, that just is wishy-washy and, and throws lightning bolts over here and randomly damns these people and randomly does good things for these people. No, you begin to trust, you follow a God that you really trust in. And Jeremiah's like, hey, all this time we hadn't, we, we claimed God's name. We're God's special people, but we hadn't been living like it. So, but now I, I know I need to seek him. Daily, I need to follow after him with all of my might. Fifth, and probably the toughest, most difficult word of all. The fifth choice is to wait. I like that. We're not a big amening church, but I heard just a few. Mm. I heard a little grunting on that. Because how many of us like to wait? None of us. Traffic lines, checkout lines, waiting on something to come through in the mail, waiting on our paycheck to be deposited. None of us like to wait. It goes against the grain of who we are. We want to be gratified. We want what we want, when we want it, which is now or yesterday, okay? That is how we are. But listen to what, what Jeremiah says here in Again, in verse 25, the first part, he says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, the one who seeks him. 26, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I like this, wait quietly. Now, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you don't talk to God about it, that he doesn't want to hear you. We've already been through there. His compassion is great. You can tell God anything. But there's waiting, and then there's patiently waiting. Um, think to your children. <laughs> Two, three, or maybe 13, 14. I don't know. But, it, you know, you, you said, wait. And, and, and they may have to wait. And, and let's just be honest. At 23 or 53 or 83, we don't like it any better. And there's a wait that is a wait full of faith and trust that says, God... I know it's in your timing, and I don't have a clue when when it's gonna happen, but I know in your timing, you're gonna make it happen. And there's the petulant, fussing, whining, miserable, make everyone else around you miserable type of waiting that if we're honest, a lot of us didn't really outgrow in our terrible twos, and now we're in our terrible 20s or 50s or 80s because we still haven't learned to say, God, This timing is up to you. I know you've got this. Maybe I've been praying about it for three weeks. Maybe I've been praying about it for three years. But Lord, you've got it. I trust you. What do you choose to do when you're in a world of hurt and pain and that's all that you can see everywhere around you? you got lots of options. You can bottle it all up inside and become a walking time bomb ready to explode. You can get online and share with the whole world everything that's bad and who you think deserves blame and punishment and cancellation for all that badness. But Jeremiah offers a better example. And if you're saying, wow, that's a lot of five points. Wow, that's good stuff. But I don't know if I remember all that. I mean, Number one, note-taking helps. But number two, you you know what? You're not going to carry those notes all the time. But I, I tell you, if you only remember one thing, remember the first one, to focus on God. Or for most of us who already know the Lord, it is to refocus. We were once right with him, and we've let the circumstances of our life make us look at everything else. And it's time for us to get back and say, God, I am fixing my eyes on Jesus. All your problems don't go away. But what you see and feel and experience and what others see in you totally changes because your focus is on the one that it should be. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, I I come to you And Lord, when I, um, as I prepared, as I read your word this week, Lord, I know this isn't theory. Uh, I I know this is real rubber meets the road stuff. And I know there's people in here who have been devastated. Uh, They have lost a loved one. Uh, Maybe they've lost trust. Uh, Maybe they've been betrayed or backstabbed. Father, maybe they have failed someone else. And under the weight of that guilt, they just can't seem to move on. Lord, I pray that today that you would help all of us for whatever reasons. Lord, the circumstances of this life have taken our eyes off of you. Remind us, God, that your compassions never fail. And they're new every single morning. And so God, call us back. Call us to repentance. To rejecting those false ideas and false belief that we've bought into. The world's way of thinking about what constitutes success or happiness. And Lord, turn us back to you. Change our hearts, God. Bless this time as we respond to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's your chance. Here's your opportunity to think about how you're going to respond to something you've already been through or something you see coming. Maybe you've to change a response that you've had. And, and there's lots of ways to think about that. And a lot of us need to refocus and get back. Some of us have never been focused on God because it hasn't been our own faith. We've just kind of gone along. And we read this past week in the story in scripture about a king named Josiah, who was made king at eight years old. But then it said at 16, he began to follow the Lord. So up until then, he was just going through motions. He was just doing whatever he thought he was supposed to do. But at 16, it became personal to him. And for somebody in this place, some child or youth or maybe even adult, your faith has just been something that it was a habit, a pattern, but not really real to you. And today, it needs to become real to you. Or maybe you're like Manasseh that we read about. I wouldn't say that about you, but maybe you would say that about you. Manasseh was a guy who did evil and wrong and he was one of the worst kings ever. But then when destruction came upon him, when doom came upon him, his heart was changed and he turned back to the Lord. And even though he had done the vilest things that we could imagine, he was one of the worst kings in the history. God granted him forgiveness And repentance and restoration. And so somebody either here today or or watching today might say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what's been done to me. And I say, look, nothing you have done or that was done to you is greater than God's love and mercy and compassion on you. So I want to invite you right now, focus on the Lord for the first time or focus on him again. So that as you look at him, your life will follow the right direction. I'll be down front for prayer or to receive you if you have a decision. Maybe maybe you just need to pray at the altar or wherever you are today. Maybe in, in your living room if you're watching at home. But do business with God. Respond to him. Don't ignore this call, this appeal as he's spoken to you. Would you stand please?